We know this Sunday as Palm Sunday, but it is often actually called Palm slash Passion Sunday. Because we know that the waving of the palms is where we begin, but we also know where we're headed. And we know where Jesus was headed as he entered into Jerusalem. So here now, the gospel lesson continued in the Gospel of Luke, the 23rd chapter, verses 32 through 38. Two others also who were criminals were led away to be put to death with Jesus. When they came to the place that was called the skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said to them, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing, and the people stood by watching. And the leaders scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he really is the Messiah of God, the Chosen One. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the King of the Jews, save yourself. And there was an inscription over his head, the King of the Jews. This too is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, heavenly dove, with all thy quickening power. Come shed abroad a Savior's love that it may kindle ours. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts Be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Have you ever been so surprised by grace that it changed you? There is a story told by uh, NPR's StoryCorps about a young man named Julio Diaz. Julio has a a daily routine. Every night, this 31-year-old social worker ends his hour-long subway commute out of the city back to the Bronx one stop early, just so he can eat at his favorite diner. But one night, Diaz stepped off the number six train And his evening took an unexpected turn. He was walking down the stairs of the station when a uh, a teenage boy approached him and pulled out a knife. And the young boy said, give me your money. And Diaz very calmly took out his wallet and tossed it to the boy and said, here you go. The teen began to walk away and Diaz said, hey, wait a minute, you forgot something. If you're going to be robbing people for the rest of the night, don't you want my coat too? You might need it to stay warm, he said. And this would-be robber looked at his would-be victim and said, what? Why are you doing this? And Diaz said, well, I figure if you're willing to risk your freedom for a few bucks, then you must really need the cash 
I mean, all I was going to do was go to dinner at the diner, and if you wanted to join me, well, hey, you'd be more than welcome. And in the next unexpected turn, the young man took him up on the offer. And they walked together around the corner to the diner, and they ate the best burger and fries this young boy had ever tasted in his life. And Diaz introduced him to all of his friends, from the regulars at the diner to the owner to the dishwasher. And then the bill came. And Diaz said to the teen, look, you're going to have to pay the bill because you've got my wallet and I don't have any cash. But if you wanted to give the wallet back to me, I'd be glad to treat you. And the boy handed back the wallet. And Diaz took out an extra 20 and said, you might need this for the road. And hey, would you give me something in return? Can I have your knife? And the boy gave it to him. Now, I would wager as you heard the beginning scene of that story, that you had expectations about what was about to happen. You probably expected some resistance followed by violence. Maybe you expected the boy to grab and run, certainly not to eat dinner with this person that he was trying to rob. Maybe you expected punishment instead of forgiveness. Maybe the whole thing was just a setup to give the cops time to arrive. Maybe you expected judgment and lecturing, that kind of don't-you-know-better finger-shaming instead of a kind of compassion and grace. We've come to expect armed threats rather than disarming love. And I'm sure that's what the boy expected that day. This was not his first rodeo. But he was so surprised by compassion surprised by unexpected mercy, that he not only gave back the wallet, but he gave his prized possession as well. And you can't tell me that he didn't go home that night changed. So let me ask you again, have you ever been so surprised by grace that it changed you? We have spent this whole Lent, for those of you who have been following along, talking about forgiveness, and I've got to tell you, it, it has stirred up a lot in me, and as I have talked with you throughout this season, I know it has stirred up things for you as well. Forgiveness is hard. It's hard to ask for, it's hard to give, and if we've learned anything in this season, it's that all of us have been hurt and have hurt others, and navigating those troubled waters is difficult business. But throughout this whole season, I have been more and more convicted that forgiveness, especially God's forgiveness, is a kind of holy miracle that can change us and can change the world. My friend and fellow preacher Anna Dixon put it this way, Forgiveness, she says, is this surprising interruption in the normal way of doing things. Biblically speaking, it's an offering of grace when punishment or payback is exactly what's expected and perhaps deserved. Another way to say it is that the logic of grace is totally different than the logic of the world. It flips the script that we know. 
And it feels to me like we are often stuck in the same scripts with the same assumptions about the world and how people will react that it takes a lot to surprise us anymore. We anticipate negative intentions so much that a simple act of kindness can totally bowl us over. When Pastor Amanda two weeks ago started her sermon on holy anger with a story about that car that cuts in front of you right at the last moment to merge, you all laughed, but none of you were surprised. Despite being frustrated, we knew exactly what to expect in that scene. And when we're stuck in those same scripts, the news cycles of negativity that won't end, we come to expect and assume the worst about each other. And because we're stuck, we often don't know what to do with an act of forgiveness or grace that happens right before our eyes. We're as shocked as the robber was by that invitation to dinner. But that is what is so compelling about the gospel. It's what keeps me coming back every week. Everything about this story that we have been walking through is a kind of holy surprise. God's grace defies our expectations. Now, we have read this story together for a lot of years, so perhaps we shouldn't be surprised. From the very beginning, Jesus has been defying everyone's expectations. The Jews were expecting a king. They got a babe in a manger born to a young virgin. They expected one who was there to wield power, and Jesus spent most of his time with the poor. They anticipated one who was going to uphold the law, and at every turn, Jesus transformed the law. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye, but I say to you, turn the other cheek. If someone demands your coat, give them your cloak as well. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Throughout his ministry, if Jesus was going to, if we thought Jesus was going to go left, he went right. Every time we thought Jesus was going to zig, he would zag. His love and compassion and mercy were powerful and transforming and surprising. And it was clearly driving the Pharisees and the chief priests mad. This kind of flipped, script-flipping message of grace was disruptive to their power and to their expectations, and everything had reached a boiling point when Jesus got to Jerusalem. All of the ministry that we know in the Gospels leads up to this Holy Week, when Jesus enters Jerusalem with triumph and just days later is hanging on a tree. And perhaps we've even heard this story so many times that we're no longer surprised by it. We know what's going to happen. But the script-flipping Jesus doesn't miss these few final opportunities to catch us off guard. Poet Benjamin Kramer summarizes Holy Week this way. He says, we want a war horse. Jesus rides a donkey. We want the courtroom, and Jesus sets the table. We want a gavel. Jesus washes feet. We want to take up swords. Jesus takes up a cross. We want the empire. Jesus gives us the kingdom of God. 
We want a nation Jesus calls the church. We want the roaring lion and Jesus comes as a slaughtered lamb. We want to arm God and God tries to disarm us. At every turn in this holy week, from his entry with palms to his death on the cross, Jesus disarms us, surprises us with acts of grace. This week that we are walking through together is bookended by these very two public scenes, palm and passion, as the church calls it, that we heard in Luke's gospel this morning. Palm Sunday's procession was as surprising in Jerusalem as it was to our neighbors as we walked down North Morningside this morning. It turns a few heads. The crowds waving their palms were celebrating a kind of military-style parade armed with nothing but some flimsy branches. It was a script-flipping scene of peace in a time when everybody thought they knew what power and might looked like. But Luke's gospel says that they gathered and were praising God because of Jesus' deeds of power. The power to heal, the power to feed, the power to welcome, the power to forgive. They were there because they, like Julio's robber, had been so surprised by an act of grace that they were changed. And Good Friday will come in just a few days, as we heard in today's reading, when Jesus will hang on a cross. And even our name for that day is surprising, right? What good is there about a crucifixion? But in a scene where Jesus is literally flanked by criminals and surrounded by those who are mocking and scoffing him, Luke's gospel says that Jesus offers one more script-flipping surprise and says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. It's not what we expected Jesus to say. So much that scholars debate whether Luke even wrote it down correctly. Did he really say that? Why is it only in Luke's gospel? Well, it's in some first century manuscripts and not others. Should we even trust Luke's blessing from Jesus' lips? But as I studied this week and dug deeper and deeper, I came to wonder if the scholars' concern over the authenticity of that line really reflects our ongoing surprise at Jesus. Even in his final moments, we are shocked into disbelief that Jesus would offer a word of forgiveness to the world. Father, forgive them. The them is inclusive. It's all of us. It's the criminals hanging next to him and the disciples that denied and betrayed him, the chief priests and the crowds that rejected him and the political powers that hung him, the soldiers that mocked him, the people who stood by silent, and all the rest of us too. Father, forgive them. Forgive us, for we sometimes do not know what we are doing. Even in his last breaths, Jesus surprises us with grace and forgiveness that is undeserved and an unmerited gift from God alone. 
Have you ever been so surprised by grace that it changed you? Here Jesus was in this most powerless position possible, and in his final words, he offers forgiveness that blankets the world with a powerful love. His grace, his forgiveness that pours out for us does not stop his death. And we will walk this Holy Week remembering how quickly those palms we waved turned into shouts to crucify him. And then we will sit in the darkness, just as they did so many years ago, and wonder, just like we do on weeks like this one, if evil has won. But of all Jesus' surprising acts of grace, the greatest surprise is yet to come. May it be so. Amen.